Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch and this is episode 15 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guests that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Well, Happy New Year, and welcome to the 2020s. This episode comes out on January 1st. What a great way to kick off the new year. I'm certainly excited for a new decade, hopefully put the 20-teens behind us. Not that there weren't a lot of great movies in the 20-teens, and we'll talk about a couple of those here in a little while and on some upcoming shows, but they weren't the best for me personally, so I'm a little happy to see the decade come to a close and start with something new. Of course, I'm also a little sad because the 2019 brought an end to Star Wars as we know it. Before the year ended, we saw Star Wars Rise of Skywalker in theaters bring a close to the Skywalker saga, as they're calling it. And of course, the last episode of Mandalorian aired, although we do have a season two coming of that. And I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and I couldn't be happier with the way both of those stories closed. I know that there's been some mixed responses to Rise of Skywalker, and I, I don't understand the need to perpetuate negativity towards some a fandom. Uh, there are people who didn't like Rise of Skywalker, and that's absolutely fine, but there are some people on Twitter who I follow and I have great respect for, and I almost feel like Every tweet they have put out in the last week since Rise of Skywalker hit theaters has just been dumping on the movie. The movie's not perfect. It has some problems, but I loved it. I've seen it twice, and I was really happy with the way they chose to end the storyline, both of the original Star Wars characters as well as Rey, Finn, and Poe's story. And I don't see the need, if you didn't like it, to just continually dump on it. Just say you didn't like it and move on. I don't think anybody was upset with the end of The Mandalorian Season 1. I can't wait for Season 2 to begin, although we'll have to, because as Jon Favreau tweeted out, it's not coming until fall of 2020. So we've got quite a few months between now and the start of a new season of Mandalorian, but we can fill that time with many other movies, many other stories. And there's, you know, Star Wars video games, Star Wars novels. For the Star Wars fan, there's always plenty of content to get around to. With the decade drawing to a close, I decided to use that as the last Friday inquiry of 2019, and I asked, what was your favorite movie of the 20-teens? And got some really good responses. I'll go to Twitter first this time, because I I tend to forget about Twitter side of things for some stupid reason. Uh, Chris Talent, which is at talent underscore Chris said, for me, it's a tie between Thor Ragnarok and Edge of Tomorrow. Both are excellent popcorn movies, but unless you know the backstory of the MCU, Thor doesn't even make total sense. Edge is just amazing all around. And oddly enough, we'll mention Edge of Tomorrow in this week's episode. Not in depth, but it it does get a mention for some odd reason. James Rodriguez, who's at Rodders J04, said, Moonlight, such a beautiful little film. Jason Harris, which is at Taisha Jason, said tie between Mad Max Fury Road and the Grand Budapest Hotel. Switching to Facebook, former guest Laura Uber said, Wow, some really great movies in this time span. Harry Potter was finishing up. Hunger Games was introducing us to Katniss Everdeen and Jennifer Lawrence. The Avengers put together the pieces of of Iron Man and Captain America and set us on the path to the endgame. Frozen for animated movie. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, brought so much fun and honored the predecessor. Crazy Stupid Love for Rom-Com and The Sorcerer Apprentice is my guilty pleasure. But above them all, number one is Guardians of the Galaxy. Misfits brought together for a common cause and bonding into a family, fun and action and Groot. The sequel is just as fun, and they play nice with the Avengers in the big endgame, too. The soundtrack is perfect. 
Luis Ramirez said, double wow. If I had to answer your question exactly, the one movie that I would pick as my favorite would have to be the Lego Batman movie. It just scratches all the right itches throughout its runtime. And again, we'll mention the Lego Batman movie in this episode as well. Uh, I, all of those I agree with being fantastic movies from the 20 teens, a lot of focus on Marvel. And I think there's a lot out there besides Marvel, but I, I do love the MC universe. As I've said numerous times, I've still not seen Moonlight somehow. Don't ask me how, uh, I have it queued multiple times on multiple different venues and I still have yet to actually press the go button on it and watch it. And I need to fix that. So Jason, when I'm saying, Hey, what should I watch? Remind me that I have not seen Moonlight yet, and I need to pull the trigger on that one. This week's episode is Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which when it was pitched to me, I thought, well, that movie's not very old, but it came out in 2010. So that movie's been around a decade, folks. It's hard to believe. Many of you probably didn't see it in the theater. As we talk about in the episode, it didn't do fantastic theatrically, but it really found its audience when it came home and started on streaming services and DVD and such. It is a phenomenal guilty pleasure movie of mine. I absolutely love it. And when Mike, who's my guest this week, uh, suggested it, I was really excited to see it again, even though it's only been a couple of months since I last watched it. Mike comes to us from two different podcasts, uh, Talkin' Pops and the Pawnee Public Forum. One of those is more focused on Funko Pop Collection, and the other is about Parks and Rec. Uh, I, I've checked out both of his shows, really enjoy them. They're a lot of fun. And so is our conversation about Scott Pilgrim versus the World. This ended up being a fantastic episode, but it helps that the movie itself is also quite fantastic. So here we go, 2010's Scott Pilgrim versus the world. So, uh, Funkos, you know, I'm, I'm an amateur when it comes to fun to the world of Funkos. I got a couple for Christmas and I, I get them here or there, but I, if I don't find them in the store, they're not something I pursue. What, how do you choose what you collect? So I choose, uh, just things that I love, right? It's if, if I don't love it, then I'm not, I'm not dealing with it. So most of the time I, I obviously have all the Scott Pilgrim ones, uh, <laughs> which is no small task because they have released three main lines. So main lines are ones that you could just find at a random GameStop or hot topic or toys the rest of the time outside of those three main lines. Every single other one has been a con exclusive. Oh God. So you'd have to go to New York city, comic con, San Diego, comic con, Emerald city, comic con to get it. And they're at one, two, three, four, five, six, I want to say at least 24 to 30 different Scott Pilgrim versus the world items. And they are rough to get. Uh, but then I got things like Parks and Rec. Big fan of those. Ready Player One. I know people didn't love that movie, but I did. Rick and Morty, Doctor Who. Um, you know, pretty much the big main players. And then uh, once you get that base down then it's not too bad because they only release them every so often. So like they only released four doctor who ones this year. So that's not bad, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's a slippery slope once you get into it because uh, <laughs> three years ago I had 20. Uh, I am up to 1200. Oh my God. Uh, and my most expensive one I think is uh, Andy <gasps> Dwyer as Johnny karate. And he is $2,000. Oh my God. See, when I was listening to the episode, you guys were talking about like going on and looking at, you know, pricing and how much they're worth. And that's, that's just not an element of it that I've gotten into. I have maybe 
30 to 40 at this point. And I'm happy with my collection, but I just couldn't see myself going down that rabbit hole. Oh, I got two rooms in my house <laughs> that are <laughs> like literally just it. Like the room I'm in right now, I think has 800 in it, eight to 900 in here. Oh my God. And uh, I, I don't know if you've ever watched the documentary. There, there's a uh, there's a documentary on Netflix. Yeah, I have. And uh, there's people who are way worse than I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's even just um, Funko's, you know, fan of the week or whatever they call it that they yeah, post fanatic on. of the week. Yeah. Some of those I see the pictures and I'm just like, no way. <laughs> it's how, how do I want to say it? I, I always say that Funko's the French fries and like things like hot toys are the hamburgers because you mm-hmm. can get one hot toy for like a thousand dollars. Right. Or you can get a hundred pop figures for a thousand dollars. You know, like what would you rather have? Uh, one hamburger from McDonald's or a large fry? Because they're about the same. Oh, I I love them. I just I, I I think I was reluctant to jumping into getting them because I I could see myself in the situation I'm in where now I have more than I can even display. I it, they're not great if you have an addictive personality. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, because I have the. I need everything I like and I need a full collection. And if I don't have the full collection, I don't even want to start. Right. I, you know, that I understand. I'm that OCD person right there. Man, it's rough. You know, especially with like they did a stranger things, you know, they have all their stranger things pops. And about two years ago at Funko fun days, which is a big party at San Diego comic-con with about 1600 people tickets sell out in about 20 seconds. Oh my um, God. They gave out 40 gold hoppers you know, Hopper from stranger things. Right. Right. And the 40, that's it. 40. That thing goes for about three to $5,000. Oh my God. Cause and I'm, old, ge- and I'm guessing you don't have one. I don't have one. I got a fake one. I bought, I bought one, somebody <laughs> spray painted. And then I'm like, well, this is dumb. And I got rid of all of my stranger things <laughs> because stranger things is the one license. Like uh, they have the master toy license for Rick and Morty. Right. And so they put out a lot of Rick and Morty. Their their whole last wave was on the first episode of season four of Rick and Morty. So like when Stranger Things came back for season three, I think it was, um, they put out maybe 40 or 50 pop figures. Oh my God. I had no idea. Yeah, it was rough. And um, I, you know, I got them all and then I'm like, oh, I don't want these anymore. So now they're in uh, three large boxes in my closet waiting until the next pop swap so I can go and get rid of them and get something else I want. <laughs> Literally those three big, you ever go to Home Depot and you see their, uh, their moving boxes? Yeah. Uh, three of those full. <laughs> I have like two copy paper boxes and then whatever I've amassed since I last moved. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a dangerous slope. It's, um, you know, when it hits you, it hits you and you love it. And then you'll love it for a long time. Cause, um, you know, I know they, they've been around a long time, uh, 22 years, I think this year. So they've been a, around a lot longer than people think. And they always go, Oh, they're beanie babies. They're not really beanie babies. Cause there wasn't, you know, a captain hook at the time, I guess beanie baby, you know what right. I mean? They were bears and ducks and, and bats. Right. I mean, they have the licensing to kind of fall on. Oh, their licensing is insane. I mean, we, we used to play a game that we'd say a movie or a TV show and the other person had to guess if they made pops of it. And you would not believe uh, the stuff they get into. I mean, they got New Girl, Community, 
Uh, oh yeah, I'm looking forward to their good place ones. <laughs> oh, I I got them pre-ordered and already already ready to go. <laughs> so, do you consider yourself to be a uh, comic book person? I like the movies, um, and I like the Scott Pilgrim manga. But other than that, I'm not. Okay, I'm not a um, not a guy. Not not something I try to get into. I don't I don't love reading. Gotcha. I'm I'm not a smart person. <laughs> Do you consider yourself to be a video game person? I used to be, uh, but now I really only play Overwatch. In fact, I was playing it before we got started here. Awesome. I have to ask who who's your main? Uh, Moira, all, all the time. Cool. Okay. I uh, how, do. Do you play? I I I dabble. It's one of those that I I I like games with story, and mm-hmm. so like repetitive games like that don't tend to hold my attention for very long. So I'll get on and I'll play for like a week, and then I'll set it aside for a while. So like I haven't done any of the holiday challenges or anything yet. I missed the first two with the ugly sweater and the holly uh, holly one, but I want Mercy's uh, snow angel skin. Exactly. That's the one I need to log in and get because <laughs> th- that's this week. I started as a Mercy main. Uh, I've lately been more of a Brigitte main. Oh, um, nice. But uh, yeah, I love Mercy's. That that Snow Angel look is awesome. Healer's got to heal. I mean, it's, it's uh, I, I that's why I love playing Moira because I can't aim. I'm very bad at aiming. And Moira, you don't you don't have to aim. You just right. go in. You you zoop in. You do damage, heal, and then zoop out. It's it's the best. You throw those orbs. <laughs> All right. Well, I asked about comics and uh, video games because that obviously are the inspiration for the movie you picked this week. For sure. So we're talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world from 2010. Hard to believe this is a 10 year old movie at this point. Uh, Directed by Edgar Wright, written by Michael Bacall and Edgar Wright, based on the graphic novel by Brian Lee O'Malley, starring a huge amount of people. Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Kieran Culkin, Anna Kendrick, Allison Pill, Aubrey Plaza, Jason Schwartzman, Johnny Simmons, Mark Weber, Ellen Wong, and a bunch of others. If we're going to date, you may have to defeat my seven evil exes. You have seven evil ex-boyfriends? Bingo. Consider our fight begun. And I have to find defeat. Defeat your seven evil exes? Pretty much. Prepare to die. What? How's life? He seems nice. I want to take them apart. We all have baggage. Yeah, well, my baggage doesn't try and kill me every five minutes. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Next time, we don't date the girl with 11 evil ex-boyfriends. Seven. Oh, that's not that bad. So how do you describe this movie to someone who hasn't seen it? How, how do you sell them on the idea that they need to see this movie? So I think, and I think I've heard this described this way before. That's why I say it. It's a musical, but with fighting instead of songs. Yeah, that actually, I was just reading earlier today that that's how Edgar Wright uh, approached it was yeah. as a musical. And it's great. It's, it's, you, you can tell the first 15, 20 minutes that something's up. Uh, but mm-hmm. then when that first fight happens, you're like, oh, this is what this movie's going to be. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a lot of fun. You don't have to think too hard. And it's just a, you sit there and you eat your snack and you watch your movie. And it's just, 
it hits so much for me because it's got the video game references. It's got pop culture references. It's got these hilarious little moments. Uh, like when Aubrey Plaza's character swearing and they bleep her whole face. I love that. And he, his, his response, how do you keep doing that with your mouth? Right. <laughs> Are you a, a popcorn movie fan or do you prefer more in-depth like drum, dramatic films like Oscar bait or, or where are you on the movie spectrum? I don't want to think about anything when I watch a movie. <laughs> I know I saw uh, knives out mm-hmm. and I'm like, Oh, this is good, but it's a little much for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I almost rather would have seen frozen where I could just sit back, enjoy the songs and eat my snacks. You know, yeah. it's, I don't, I don't go to movies to be challenged. I like to just sit there and go, Oh yeah, I like that. Oh, Iron gotcha. Man shooting a bunch of bullets. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this one definitely works on that, but it does have a surprising amount of depth to it as well, which I I think I realized more on this reviewing of it than than any time I'd seen it before. Because I, I saw this one in the theater and, and immediately loved it. Yeah, I did too. I saw it the first weekend it came out uh, with 10 other people. <laughs> <laughs> and and then you were like half of the people who saw it because it didn't do very well at the box office when it came out. It didn't. It doesn't make any sense, you know, especially when it's got Chris Evans and... Who, who's the other guy? Uh, the guy that played Superman the one time, Brandon. Oh, uh, Brandon Ruth. Yeah. Yeah. And guy that plays Berries and it uncredited is the narrator. Bill Hader's the narr- narrator. It's got everybody. In. Well, and it's easy to look at now, but it, it, I was looking at the casting going, th- this is kind of one of those perfect storms where they cast a lot of up and comers who, who happened to then come. Because there's a lot of movies where they cast what they think are going to be a lot of up and comers and they don't pan out. But like in 2010, Bill Hader, I, I think he was in his Saturday Night Live phase at that point. So he was becoming a household name. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these people like Anna Kendrick wasn't really big. Aubrey Plaza wasn't really big. You know, I mean, Michael Sarah had done two huge films in Arrested Development. So he was definitely, you know, he coming was into his the headliner. Yeah, he was coming into his prime. And, and Chris Evans obviously was known at the time. Uh, as you said, Brennan Ruth had already done Superman at that point. So those people were known, but a lot of the supporting cast, you know, Kieran Culkin was that other Culkin kid. Right. And now he's huge because of succession on HBO. Right. Right. But at the time he was just that other Culkin kid. I mean, it's just, they really got fortunate as far as, as lasting power of the movie in that the cast that they put in place all really became big. I mean, it's crazy. You look at it and three of them are even are in Marvel movies, right? right? Two of them are main Avengers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one was in Aubrey Plaza was in that FX Marvel show Legion, which she was Legion. fantastic in, you know, and then you got Mae Whitman <laughs> <laughs> who voices uh, on one of the animated things. She voices Bat- Batwoman. Oh, does she? Yeah, and Michael Cera voices Robin in the Lego Batman movie. So oh, like the amount does. of I forgot about that. The amount of superhero connections with this movie is is hilarious for it for it being a comic book movie, but not a superhero movie. Right. All right. So I, I got off track from my script here. So why out of all the movies out there, why Scott Pilgrim versus the world as your choice? What does this movie mean to you? I didn't know about the comic book and, and about the manga until I saw the preview for the or the trailer for the for the movie. And then Mm. I went back and I read it and I'm like, man, Scott Pilgrim really, you know, the character hits a chord with me uh, because I'm weird. I do a lot of weird (laughs) stuff. I love garlic (laughs) bread, even though it makes you fat. (laughs) 
It's his. That's his dinner that he cooks for her: garlic bread. <laughs> and if you look, uh, I think they did it in the movie too. Uh, the actual recipe for his garlic bread is in the manga. Oh my god! <laughs> like it has a step by step how to make it, and you can make the garlic bread, and I have it. It's pretty good. That's and, hilarious. You know, it's it's just great because you see the movie and the writers. You know, when he made the manga originally, he drew all the places. And they were real places in his town. So when you see Scott and um, Wallace's house or apartment, that's a real place. Like the the place that they shot at was the place he drew. Mm-hmm. And the same thing as Scott's house and the Rocket Club and that that particular Goodwill. Everywhere in there was a real place and they were able to use the real places, which is insane. That never happens. Right. And this was a departure for Edgar Wright because up till this point, you know, he had done Shaun of the Dead, he had done Hot Fuzz, he had done films that were distinctly British because that's what he knew. So right. to move to Canada for a production and do a story that is so essentially Canadian in its setting had to be a new experience for him. Right. And and he nailed it. I, oh, yeah. You know, this is it, – it's shot just like the comic was. You know, you you see the – you know, they put up the character bios – and those are just like the comic book, you know, and it, it just it, it played out. I feel like a video comic book, you know, like like it would in the manga. And, and it, it was like a, a perfect mix of the live action and the comic book uh, elements. Yeah, I just heard and I don't remember which podcast it was on now. So apologies to whoever I'm ripping off here. Um, I just heard someone criticizing people for their hatred of comic book movies because their approach was why wouldn't you make a comic book movie? The comic book is the perfect storyboard, right? You've, you've already got it laid out for you in storyboard form. Why wouldn't you make comic book movies? It makes sense. <laughs> you know, you, oh, Captain America does this sweet. <laughs> Let's, we'll just make them do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, but I find it interesting. So if I read correctly, the series of Scott Pilgrim was not finished at the point that they started adapting it. I believe that's true. I believe the last book came out uh, like two weeks before the movie. And there's a lot of departures. That's what I was going to ask you next is, is, is there huge differences? Uh, there, there is, uh, you know, like the, the, the twins fight uh, that was two big robots, not uh, sound ghosts. <laughs> uh, then there was at the end when Gideon and Scott fight, it's Gideon turns into this big, huge, scary monster. Mm. Um, you know, but they obviously either ran out of budget and couldn't do all the CGI, or they just wanted it to be. You hate to say more set in reality, right? <laughs> because of what it is. Uh, but that's kind of what it what it was like. I mean, this was a this was a six book manga, and um, you know, I I have the book sitting on my shelf, and it's it's long. <laughs> Especially you know, it, for someone who doesn't like to read, <laughs> right? Uh, I I can do about one every week. Is what I can do, and then I'm like, ugh. But there's not a lot of reading on the on the mangas. You know, there's just you know a paragraph a page or something like that. Yeah, my understanding is O'Malley gave them notes as to what direction he was taking the last book, but let them kind of do what they wanted to do for the ending of of what he considered to be their story. Right, and and you know. I'm okay with stuff like that. I mean, it's like The Walking Dead, right? They have oh, completely the same, deviated from the universe and the comics. Yeah, they have this the same basic storyline, but they let you change. You know, they change what they wanted to change, and it kept comic book people happy for a while, and it kept uh, kept the TV watchers happy for a while. Right. I think 
while there's a lot to be said for staying true to the source material, I also think there's a lot to be said for deviating for it because if nothing else, then everybody is experiencing a new thing. You know, right. that there there can be like how mu- how much can you get involved emotionally to a story if you already know the story? Exactly. Yeah, if you go, oh, well, this guy's obviously going to do this next because it's what happened 300 issues ago in the comic book. Right. So when they can deviate and and surprise you, I think that makes for a better emotional connection and a more compelling story. Right. Because the characters are there. You're just putting them in different situations. If the character is the character, then you're like, oh, yeah, this is how Daryl would do that. Well, Daryl doesn't count because he was made up for the show. But, you know, Scott Pilgrim would do that in this instance. You know. Right, which I love that Daryl was made up for the show, and yet he's become kind of the sacred cow of the show. You cannot, they cannot kill him off. You know, anybody else is okay, but Daryl is like the golden calf here. I continue to watch The Walking Dead as soon as it comes out. I don't, I don't have cable or anything. I buy the episodes, mm-hmm. and and I'll watch it the next morning. And I still get upset if it gets spoiled for me. But <laughs> the second they kill Daryl, I'm done. <laughs> I, I, and I've heard so many people say that, like more people would be upset over Daryl than were over Rick. <laughs> yeah, I didn't care about Carl. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> My sister was specifically happy to see Carl gone from the show. She, <laughs> she did not like that character. Uh, all right. So the movie didn't perform well at the box office. It's opening weekend. It's done pretty well. Critically. It has an 81% at Rotten Tomatoes and a 69% at Metacritic, surprisingly. Perfect. Great uh, number. Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> kind of appropriate for the content, I think. Perfect, yeah. Uh, a couple of reviews just to kind of I, – I, I find they bring in some interesting – and like I find a lot of the time, these two reviews are kind of almost hitting on the same topic, but one is being positive about it and one is being negative about it. So uh, Amy Nicholson, writing for IE Weekly, uh, says, Wright merges all action into one whiplash-fast time continuum. It could give a seizure to anyone in the Twitterverse unused to dividing their brain among 12 browser windows. But for the already addled, myself, millions more, and metastasizing, it's a blast. Fun, fresh, and unbounded with an ensemble that delivers every joke and elbow jab. Under the chaos, Wright and co-writer Michael Bacall have laced empathy for the two human mess we make of relationships. Everyone has loved, everyone has lost, and everyone has been the villain to another hero or heroine. That's the game of life, and we're all playing. On the flip side, Kyle Smith wrote for the New York Post, the characters turn into live action video game figures and the screen fills with colorful captions, Fwomp, Kerpow, and Kathunk. The many video game spoofs are all essentially the same really long joke, and they get jumbled in with the pop-up boxes providing factoids on the setting, the scribbled words ding-dong floating out of doorbells, and an animated black box that keeps popping in over a girl's mouth every time she curses. The aesthetic is hectic. I go to the movies to escape this prevailing brain scramble of our time. Director Edgar Wright will only have himself to blame if excited kids are so razzled and dazzled that they power on their pocket gadgets and start prattering or twixting or whatever it is the youth does these days. So the second guy's just an old man, right? Well, and that's and that's what I was going to ask. You you don't have to give me a specific number by any means, uh, because I want to respect your privacy. But this movie came out in 2010. Whereabouts, I, I guess, decade wise, age wise, were you when this came out? So when this came out, I was uh, right out of college, still living in a college town. So early twenties, early twenties. Okay, and man, did it hit me hard? I loved it right away. I was going to say, you were the target audience for this movie. <laughs> exactly. And they knew what they were doing because I, 
I have, I don't want to uh, disclose how many times I've bought this movie, <laughs> <laughs> but I will tell you now that it was, it was on Amazon and I, I just bought the HD version. It's the only movie that I have saved on my phone and my tablet. And uh, when I fly somewhere, it's the first movie I watch. If I go, oh, I don't want to play Luigi's Mansion 3. Maybe I'll watch a movie. It's always Scott Pilgrim. See, I was in my mid-30s when this came out. So I was not the target audience. But it still connected with me kind of for the same reasons that Amy Nicholson wrote. You know, that we, we've all loved. We've all lost. We've all been the villain. When I was in my early 20s, I was dating a high school girl. So – there are, <laughs> we all were at some right. point. So, I mean, I, I think her reviews very astute that there is a, a commentary going on with this film. There is a deeper level talking about relationships that I think, you know, the other guy that I think Kyle Smith totally missed. And I think he's busy in that review being a grumpy old man. Right. Totally agree. You know, it's it has a little bit for everything. If you just want to sit back and enjoy a movie. It, it's there when the first time versus pops up and they're both standing on either side of the screen mm-hmm. that gives me goosebumps every time. Oh yeah. You know, I love it. You know, when, when Scott and Ramona are fighting Roxy, oh, God, that, I love that fight. when she comes in, you know, when Ramona comes in behind Scott and starts controlling them and it shows it in slow-mo and Ramona's blocking uh, Roxy's kick it's like, yes, this is, this is perfect. How could anybody hate this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's got everything. You hate to sound like uh, Bill, K- Bill Hader's character on SNL. Who, who was it? Um, oh, it, it, he was always on weekend update. He goes, this place has everything. <laughs> <laughs> what, both reviews talk about it kind of almost being an ADHD festival, you know, low, that it, that appeals to low attention span. What do you think about that? It, it, it's tough because I do have low attention span, uh, but what it does, <laughs> and you is, love this movie so. <laughs> and I love the movie. So they're probably right. But the thing that I enjoy about it is it has, because of that, it has an immense amount of rewatchability. So you can watch that thing three times in a row and you're going to go, Oh, I didn't see that last time. Oh, that's mm-hmm. the legend of Zelda theme. You know, mm-hmm. that, that kind of thing. And yeah, I don't think, I've ever thought of the movie as appealing to that low attention span. I, I, when I was watching it this time, my my thought was, I love the way the scenes transition so so beautifully. That you know, it's a shot on Scott, and he's like, "What are we doing?" And suddenly, the whole scene around him has changed. And I don't think of that as appealing to an ADD crowd. I think of that as really slick storytelling. We could talk about the story all we want, but the way this movie is shot is just insane. It looks so good. You know, it doesn't seem like there's any wasted shots. No, it makes me really wonder what Wright would have done with an Ant-Man movie. Exactly. You know, and and I think this would have been right in his wheelhouse. Yeah, I think we lost out on him not doing that. I mean, not that the Ant-Man, I love the Ant-Man movies, but I'm very curious what he would have done with that, especially after watching this, you know, again. It's just great. I I think Edgar Wright is a, you know, he makes good stuff. And it's a real bummer that that whole situation didn't work out with them. Yeah. So which is your favorite? You know, you mentioned the the, the glory of feeling you're feeling when that versus pops up on the screen. Which is your favorite of the fights? The favorite. My favorite of the fights is, is Roxy, Ramona and Scott. It, it has to be that one. It works so well uh, because Scott, you know, he's being a good guy. You know, he doesn't want to fight a woman. 
I'd rather be dead than go back. He's a creep, you're a bitch, and you all deserve each other. Give it a rest, Ramona. This is a league game. Meaning? Meaning your precious Scott must defeat me with his own fists. Uh, I don't think I can hit a girl. They're soft. You don't have a choice. Right. And I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to fight Roxy either because she's insane. <laughs> and I love that that's Mae Whitman uh, from Arrested Development. Yeah. And right. I can never remember her character's name in Arrested Development. I just remember her as Egg because that's what yeah. Jason Bateman refers to her as in Anne. one. Her name's Anne. Anne, right. It's Anne. I can just remember her as Egg. But I think it's hilarious that you have, you know, his girlfriend on that show being the enemy in this movie. Exactly. It, you know, it. It, it hits so many levels and it's it's perfect. I, I, I love it when that happens in any movie. It, it, it just works. You know, it, that's like people saying that Audrey Plaza and Chris Platt, Pratt should play um, Meg and Hercules in the live action Hercules movie. I have not heard anybody say that, but my God, I would be so on board for that. That would be perfect, right? Like oh I would see it five times if that happened. Oh, yeah. Oh my God, that would be that's that's brilliant. <laughs> Can Aubrey Plaza sing? I, does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> they could make anybody sing, right? Oh, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> uh, I think my favorite fight has got to be the 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 one you mentioned earlier, kind of the the music uh, ghosts. I think is how you put it, but the, yeah. the fight against the twins. I just I just love the dynamic of that fight. And I, I love that none of the fights are identical to any other, that every single fight is unique in its own way. Right. They, they're all so different that that's the you know, they're not just a guy punching each other. You know, like when he fights uh, Chris, Chris, Evans. The, the, Chris Evans. I always get the three Chris's messed up uh, when he <laughs> fights Lucas Lee. Evans, yeah, <laughs> Lucas Lee. When he fights Lucas Lee and he just messes up on his skateboard and dies. <laughs> like, yeah, he used oh, his yeah. brains. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a very video game feel too. Cause I mean like the very first fight against um, uh, Matthew uh, Patel, Matthew Patel, you know, that's the, that's the first fight in a video game is the easy fight. Right. Yeah. And he gets like two bucks. Sweet coins. <laughs> well, true. <laughs> the rewards are low because the fight was easy, but you know he right. does defeat Patel pretty easily, and then progressively the fights get harder. It's great, you know, at the very end when he's fighting Gideon, and it's after he used his extra life, and he's just running through there, and he's using the uh, sword of destiny or the sword of heart, and he's just cutting through guys, and when he cuts through them, they just instantly turn into coins. Right. That's awesome too. You know, that's just visually insane that they could pull that off yeah and they actually used uh canadian currency on the set for those and mark weber said he like pocketed something like 25 bucks <laughs> over the course of filming <laughs> that's what about 12 american yeah i i have no idea but yeah it just that just cracks me up because you always hear about actors taking stuff from set so i guess that would just kind of you know you never thought it'd be cash right <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, we, we talked earlier about the cast, uh, you know, I mean, just phenomenal cast, but I do want to, I feel like Knives Chow is really overshadowed in this movie. She played by Ellen Wong and she is so phenomenal in this film. Like when she is geeking out over the band, you so know, adorable, mean, right? She's so adorable. That's exactly what I wrote in my notes is how adorable she is. And then, and then you have the scene where, you know, he's about to break up with her, but hasn't yet. And they're practicing. And he's like, you played one note, that entire song. And he was like, Oh, I, I think your girlfriend's distracting you. And she just does that little meek. I'll be quieter. 
Like, you know, she hasn't said a word the entire time, even though we haven't right. seen the scene. And yet she's meek and is like, oh, I'm just, I love her performance in this. Yeah, she's great. Very underrated. Just, I could have saw a whole nother uh, movie at just her. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other one that I want to make sure I sing the praises of, because I personally just love her and other things she's done is Allison Pill, who <laughs> plays Kim, the the drummer. Yeah. And I, I love how this movie skirts around the relationship she and Scott had. You know, it it addresses that they did date at one point. Mm-hmm. We can tell that it didn't end well because there is almost a deep-seated hatred of Scott in Kim. <laughs> and at the same time, they still work together in a band. And he apologizes to her later in the, late in the film. After he's come to this realization that he is the villain sometimes, he apologizes to her. And it's a really right. interesting dynamic that – I wouldn't have anticipated the movie kind of taking on. I, I do believe at some point he says too that he punched a very giant man into the moon for or into the sun for her. Yes. Which uh, they so they go into that whole backstory in the comic book. Oh, do they? Yeah. If I remember correctly, they 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 go into everything. I may have to read the. I, I still haven't read. I mean, the movie's ten years old. I've seen it numerous times over those ten years, and I still haven't uh, read the the manga. It's uh, they they have it all on. Uh, Prime books. Oh, okay. Uh, you can read on your tablet or your phone or whatever. It, it, it's way easier than trying to carry around a couple hundred page book <laughs> with you everywhere you go. But it, it's definitely worth a read if you like the movie. You, I think you're like the manga more. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, Knives is, I, I love how they kind of set her up at the beginning of the movie that, you know, she's 17 years old. She's a Chinese schoolgirl. Oh, yeah, she's Catholic too. And then you get the line in there about dating a high schooler is the morning period. Right. Scott, I forbid you from hitting on Ramona, even if you haven't had a real girlfriend in over a year. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Scott's morning period is officially over. He's totally dating a high schooler. Dating a high schooler is the morning period. And, you know, Knives didn't do anything wrong. No. You know, she's like the Karen Filippelli of Scott Pilgrim versus the world. (laughs) I don't get that reference. Uh, From The Office? Oh, right, right. Okay. Uh, K- Karen, you know, was dating Jim when Pam and Karen, or when Pam and Jim wanted to get back together. Karen didn't do anything wrong. She was just living her life with her boyfriend. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I, I almost, I, I guess to kind of jump to the end, I almost feel like Scott and Knives should have been together at the end and not Scott and Ramona. So do you, did, did you just watch it on Netflix? Uh, Yeah. Okay. So I, I have it on DVD as well. On the DVD, there's a deleted scene where they end up together. And how does it play? I mean, how does it feel? Uh, it feels right. Uh, no no offense to anybody, but I would definitely pick Knives over Ramona, I feel like, if I was Scott. Uh, <laughs> I, I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead, but just from a character standpoint, I feel like Scott and Knives were the right couple. And I mean, exactly. Ramona even comments about you guys are make a great team. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when she becomes, you know, awesome. And yeah. not just some little meek lady. She's, you know, straight up murdering uh, video game people. <laughs> <laughs> She's savage. <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> but yeah, there's a there's a deleted scene where, uh, you know, they have that heart to heart. And Ramona's like, yeah, I think you sh- you and Knives should go together. And then he run, you know, in the in the theatrical release, he runs to the door with uh, with Ramona. Uh, but in the deleted scene, he just leaves with knives and Ramona walks through the door. Well, and as I said, the, the movie definitely works on a, on a deeper level with commentary about relationships. And if you look at it through that lens, 
you know, Scott obviously grows as a character. He realizes that that he's done things wrong and he apologizes to Kim. He apologizes to, to knives and Ramona for, for cheating on them. And I, I find that scene really interesting about who he cheated on. Yeah. You know, did he cheat on knives? Did he cheat on Ramona? And he doesn't get that. He cheated on both of them at the same time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But there's growth there and knives definitely grows as a character, but I almost don't feel like Ramona changes. You know, as you kind of learn little bits and pieces of her story throughout, but like she was into Matthew Patel in, in seventh grade and mm-hmm. Lucas Lee in ninth grade, and she immediately left Lucas for Todd. And you learn that she was the obsessive one when it came to Gideon. And yet yeah. her her growth, I guess, came before this story starts because I guess she recognized she was obsessive with Gideon, so she keeps Scott kind of at an arm's length. And when things start to go wrong, she just disappears. Instead of addressing it, she just disappears. And she's doing that exact same thing at the end. After they defeat Gideon, she's getting ready to disappear again. Hey, you're you're going? I should probably disappear. After all that, I still need a new life. I came here to escape, but the past keeps catching up. I'm tired of people getting hurt because of me. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get over it. I don't mean just you. She hasn't changed as a character. No, I I would have to agree that, like you said, her change came before the movie, not during. And it really wasn't even a solid change. It was just going back to the way she was before. Yeah. So I I think maybe that contributes as well to me thinking, well, Scott grew and Knives grew. Mm Mm-hmm that would make them a better couple than Ramona, who is just kind of static. I would agree. Yeah. That's uh, you know, I, I went a little bit more basic with it, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm definitely with you that uh, by the end of the movie, for sure, knives and Scott make a better couple than uh, knives and Ramona or Scott and Ramona. I don't know. Knives yeah. and Ramona would make for an interesting story. N- too. Knives and Ramona would work too. Yeah. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> Just get get Scott out of the picture. <laughs> I did notice as the the X's progress, um, we get less and less story about them. So, like as I said, you know, she talks about she she fell she fell for Lucas in ninth grade, and then she immediately left him for Todd. And all we get about Roxy is that she went through a bi curious period. Yeah, that's all she says about it. Then we get the great line. <laughs> I was just a little bi curious. Well, honey, I'm a little bi curious. That's right. But, and then we get no explanation about the twins whatsoever. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think, um, it would be, if if you take the whole movie as a conversation between a new girlfriend and a new boyfriend, and you're just talking about your exes, um, which is always a big mistake, (laughs) right? Always a hundred percent, always a mistake. And it just seems like towards the end, she's like, I don't know. I dated this guy. I don't know what to tell you, (laughs) you know? You know, by the, by the fifth, sixth, and seventh, you're like, oh, let's just get this over. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, the funny thing is by the time he's fighting the twins, they're technically not even a couple anymore. Right. She's at the party with Gideon. Yeah. But I mean, I, you know, it's weird because if you look at the beginning of the movie, the first time he gets kind of introduced to the League of Evil Exes, mm-hmm. uh, it was before they even went on their first date. Right. So, 
Yeah, it's it's when he's ordering the thing from Amazon, the email pops up from Patel. Right. So I think the league assumes uh, the league knows when you're in a relationship, apparently somehow, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they knew he was in a relationship before he and she did. So they must've known that it would have worked out. So that's why they kept fighting I guess. or else. Why would they even care? Which is another interesting commentary. How often do we get hung up on an ex? You know, oh, I mean, yeah. Scott's hung up on envy and while, Ramona isn't hung up on her exes necessarily. All of them are hung up on her. Yeah, she must be real great somehow. <laughs> well, she's adorable. I yeah, don't know. There's, there's something about that character. It's that, what is the term? The manic manic pixie girl? Yeah, I manic mean, pixie she, dream girl. Yes. I mean, she epitomizes that concept yeah. to, to a T. But there's something about it that is definitely, as soon as she appears on screen, like, she's- Oh, okay. I get it. Yeah. She's intriguing. Yeah. But as I said, I kind of wish Scott and Knives ended up together. So I guess maybe it's not that intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe she's just the girl people are with until uh, they find their final one, like a like a good luck Chuck situation. Mm. But yet she was, as Scott points out at the end, she was always the one who ended the relationship. Yeah, she did, didn't she? Yeah. So, and I, I think that's that's part of it as well. As I mean, if you're not the one who ends the relationship, I think you tend to stay hung up on that person longer because mm -hmm. because you weren't ready to move on yet yeah i could i could totally see that so yeah, and that, that, was, that, that works for the movie well and that was another element that i i felt a connection to i mean i certainly have exes in my past that i i, I wouldn't fight a current boyfriend for but i definitely would be you know i don't know maybe the advent of social media has changed that but you know i'm, I'm not saying there aren't ex-girlfriends i haven't looked up but you know i i don't know <laughs> Yeah, you have to look them up and be like, "Oh, pyramid scheme, <laughs> unfriend." <laughs> <laughs> How many of those messages have you gotten recently? Because I've gotten a few. Not in a while, thankfully, but uh, that yeah, that that happens. <laughs> That's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that I think one of the things I absolutely love about this script is just the way some of the dialogue pops. Edgar Wright and Michael Bacall just. Some of the, like, as I said earlier, the line about how do you keep doing that with your mouth? You know, like it's so meta because it's getting the fact that they're censoring what she says, but it's, it's also just hilarious. Yeah. The, they're just the little one, one liner throwaways are the best. Yeah. So what are your, some of your favorites? My, my favorite is when they're doing the battle of the bands versus crash and the boys and uh, Wallace just keeps going. That's my favorite one. <laughs> you know, just keeps screaming out to him. You know, Patel shows up and punches him. He's like, Scott, watch out. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, uh, Kieran Culkin is such so brilliant as Wallace in this. Oh, uh, you when when they're watching uh, watching Chris Evans do a scene, and they start talking. You know, uh, him and uh, Scott Pilgrim start talking, and Wallace goes, Scott, evil X. You know, it's just, right. everything he does is hilarious. Right. But it's always like a second too late, too. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, exactly. The the L Lucas Lee, when he's walking away from the fight, you know, his stunt doubles are all piling on to, to Scott and he's walking away and he looks at his phone. <laughs> oh, that's actually hilarious. Oh, hilarious. I quote that so freaking often. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, that's the the line I took away from this movie. Oh, man, I I love that. I love when uh, Scott dives out the window and grabs his jacket. 
just got here? Uh, you know what? He just left. Really? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I also love when he throws the the package behind him and it goes into the uh, garbage can. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He he did that for real. Yeah. And it took him like thirty tries. You know, it reminds me of um, Alien Resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that one, but there's a scene where Sigourney Weaver throws a basketball over her shoulder and it it goes in the hoop. And I just distinctly remember when she was making the press rounds, she would talk about that scene because the ball leaves the camera frame. Mm-hmm. So it could very easily have been, you so know, easy. been faked. And apparently she made that shot. And because of the way it ended up being framed in the camera, it doesn't look, you know, it doesn't prove that she did it. So she was telling everybody on all her PR stops that that was, that was an authentic shot, that she really made it. She was proud of that. Uh, well, I would be too. I, I can't get any ball into any hoop ever. So. <laughs> I can drop things into the garbage can and I miss. Yeah, and but yet he makes that shot, throwing it, you know, behind his back into the trash can. And I love that. Yeah. Uh, I love the um, he he punched the highlights out of her hair. Talking about Todd having punched knives, yeah, and, th- and that whole conversation about being a vegan. Uh, Gelato's not vegan. <laughs> Chick chicken's not vegan. <laughs> <laughs> the vegan police was definitely not. You know, they were in the book. They were not something I was expecting to actually show up. And and one of them's uh you know Punisher. Speaking of you know comic book connection, comic book movie connections. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> so yeah, so you were the right. You were more the target audience age for this. Oh, How for sure. badly do you feel like it lambasted or perpetuated that hipster culture? Because on one hand, it almost feels like it glorifies it with the way Scott and them act, but on the other hand, it has a lot of jabs at that hipster culture, like the whole vegan thing. Yeah, I I think it more makes fun of the whole situation because you're like, yeah, these characters are doing it, but they all kind of suck. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's not one character that uh, you're like, yeah, I like that guy. You know, all of them are pretty likable, but then you go, oh, I can't believe he did that. Like the um, I always forget his name because it's something weird. The dude at the party. <sighs> yeah. Nelson Franklin. Come, you come know, him when you see him. Yeah, yeah I know who you're talking about. Yeah. When he, everything he says, it's just like, okay, guy. Right. You know, I wouldn't talk to him for more than five minutes before I'd go, oh, I just want to be anywhere else. My, yeah. He, and he's got a couple. He talks about the comic book being better than the movie. Yeah. Live better than the soundtrack or live better than the uh, record. Right. But I, I, there's a line early on where young Neil talks about a band and like, oh, you should really see them live after they've just performed live. <laughs> <laughs> i'm like okay it is skewering the hipster culture a bit right did you or any of your friends feel personally attacked by that <laughs> no no because i've always been uh, a different kind of weirdo oh gotcha <laughs> so uh i i i didn't do the whole uh goodwill hats and the let's let's go see this band live because we're never going to be able to see him again kind of thing you know, it's just just not my deal, but I, I could see how a lot of people would be <laughs> right. But it didn't like you said, it didn't do that great uh, at the box office. But I'm sure I think I'm pretty sure it does pretty well after the fact. Oh, yeah, it's it's I mean, it's one of those cult classic type movies that like I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody who hasn't seen it and doesn't love it. Yeah. 
you know, I know a lot of people that have not seen this movie, but man, the people who see it are like, yeah, I like that one. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's easy. It's on Netflix now. Right. And it's been for, on Netflix for a, for a while. I, this is actually, yeah. I, uh, when you picked this, I, I laughed because I, it's probably been only like four months since I last watched it. Like oh, really? I, <laughs> I, I put it on on Netflix and, and then you picked this and I was like, well, I guess I got to watch it again. Oh, yeah, darn. I, <laughs> I watched it about three weeks ago on my, on a flight and I'm like, man, it's, they, they made the whole movie, all the books, right? Which I am happy and upset about because I'm happy that we got the whole kit and caboodle. You got a whole movie, the whole story, because I think if they would have did a part one, part two, we never would have got part two. I agree. And I would have been devastated. And I think no matter how popular it's gotten, there's no way you'd ever see a sequel to this because as I said, the cast blew up. Yeah. And the only thing I could see them doing is something like they did with the Watchmen is they do a six part series Mm -hmm. and then they put it up somewhere where they can swear all they want. They could do the whole, you know, each move, each mini series is a book from the comic. Right. But really, I don't think they need to. No, I don't think, I mean, they think they've, they've got it. I can't imagine, you know, and again, I haven't read the source material, but I can't imagine these characters being portrayed any better than they already are here. They nailed it with casting. Everybody who was cast was perfect. I mean, would you want to be the actor who's being compared to, you know, Chris Evans or Michael Cera or Aubrey Plaza? (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) I think the only one they could get away with with is uh, Michael Cera. Like, I, 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 there's a lot of people that could go up against Michael Sarah and be like, oh, pff, Michael Sarah. But he's so perfect in this kind of a role. And I, I think really it's, is. I think it's actually haunted his career because this is how people now see him. Yeah. But it, but he, he's so perfect because Scott Pilgrim's not a hero. No, not even a little bit. He is kind of a loser. A and, yeah. and Sarah plays that really well. That's a little harsh, but. <laughs> well, I'm not saying Sarah is a loser. I'm just saying Scott is kind of a loser. Oh, okay. I, mis- I misinterpreted that. <laughs> the other line of dialogue that, that gets repeated that I, I wanted to mention that I absolutely love is- uh, You have 70 Vilex boyfriend? 70 Vilexes, yes. <laughs> that subtle correction that occurs every time because that Roxy fight is coming. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, if you didn't know it was coming, that would have been like, what, what does she mean? You know? Right. There's a lot of weird- like. Um, you know, some stuff they cut from the, you know, the the one big thing that I remember that they cut was um, there's some story with Roxy, you know, that that thing where he she poofs in and fights him real quick. And mm-hmm. he's like, not now. That happens like five or six times throughout the book. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, that would have been funny other, to see as a repeating gag. Yeah. I, you know, it happens like five or six times before the actual fight in like book four. Uh, you know, she just zoops in real quick and they're like no let's not do this now can you leave me alone and then she's like all right but i'm coming back (laughs) but you don't know it then either right and then there was another thing where i think ramona's dad's a cat which is weird dad is because i think uh, at some point you yeah like you like there's a cat in the comic book all the time and you find out it's ramona's dad oh my gosh yeah, I knew there was a cat that appeared in the comic book that didn't make it into the movie. I did not know that that was her dad. That's funny. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that's her it's either her dad or a knives dad. I haven't watched or I haven't read the books in about 3 years. Mm. Uh and and that's on purpose cuz when I do read them, I like to 
forget things so I could go, oh, yeah. Give yourself well, that surprise, that element of surprise we were talking about a little while ago. That's Yeah. That's one way to do it. All right. You got anything else you want to chime in about before we move into our uh, closing credits here? Soundtrack's amazing. Oh, God. I, it's one of the few movie – like I used to collect movie soundtracks, and it's one of the mm. few soundtracks I've bought in the last decade, but I love it. Brie Larson singing uh, – I think she sings uh, Black Sheep. Yeah. Perfect. Like you, I didn't know she could sing. No. Me neither. And, it, and I love that performance of that song. Hello again, friend of a friend. I knew you were. I come and go, was waiting for the world to end. Now that the truth is just a rule that you command. You crack the whip, shape, shift, and trick. And, you know, you got people like uh, Beck wrote songs for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. You know, it's just they wrote songs specifically for this movie. And then it did what it did. <laughs> yeah. But I, I I love all the Sex Bob Om songs. They're, they're fantastically oh, yeah. performed. Uh, yeah. I mean, the music is an important element of this movie. I can't believe I hadn't brought that up. But yeah. Yeah. You, you, you need the music. It happens a lot. Uh, every song is perfect, I feel like, in in what it did. You know, it just, they just nailed it. I think they nailed it all around. You know, if, if this movie was re- released now, I think it would have did way better. But it had to have the same people in it. Right. And if it was released now, they couldn't afford all of those people. Exactly. It'd be a, you know, $200 million movie. <laughs> and I mean, and that's not just it. Is they they got um, Radiohead's producer yeah. was involved. Yeah. I mean, Metric wrote Black Sheep, but then... As you said, uh, Brie Larson. Brie Larson, yeah, Brie Larson performs it. Yeah, I mean, it's the music's an important piece of it. Yeah, I, and and it's great. It's you know, if I had to pick a perfect movie, I this is it for me. You know, it's got everything. Oh yeah, I agree. All right, well, let's move on to the uh, end credits here. First up, the algorithm says this is kind of a lightning round of movies that different algorithms say you'll like if you like this movie. So Uh it's kind of lightning round of your responses. Yes, you agree. No, you don't agree. How the hell did this get associated with Scott Pilgrim? You know, whatever uh, reaction you have to it. All right. Sounds perfect. Let's do it. All right. First couple are pretty obvious. Uh, Hot fuzz. Yep. That works. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, Kick-Ass. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, it's I, I still I, it's been years since I've seen Kick-Ass, but I, I love that as a uh, kind of send up of the superhero genre. Yeah. You know, that that makes sense. They're they're fighting and it's awesome and funny. That definitely works. Super bad. <sighs> Is that just because Michael Sarah's in it? Probably my guess. Yeah, that's a that's OK. I mean, it's it's kind of the same thing where it was of its time. It it came out. And had a lot of people in it before they hit it big. Oh, true, true. Well, I mean, that's kind of the movie that propelled Michael Sarah into stardom. Right. Yeah, I, I could see that. That that one fits. All right. Now we start getting a little weird. Kingsman, the Secret Service. Ooh, have you seen it? I Kingsman? love Kingsman, but I know a lot of people King- who hate it. <laughs> I love Kingsman, and I could see them matching that up just because of the you know it's it's a crazy movie with fight scenes yeah the outlandish fights is what i thought of yeah 
and that's got to be it. Uh, and I can't wait for the prequel. Yeah, I know with Ray Fiennes. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, Zombieland. <sighs> I mean, I guess it's got Jesse Eisenberg, right? They're kind of the same person. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but yeah, I guess like so. if you put up Jesse Eisenberg and Michael Sarah from the same time, you're going to go, okay, which one's which here? Yeah. That's, and that's they, fair. You know, they both had a uh, women that were way too uh, good for them. That's true. You know, with with uh, Emma Stone and, uh, you know, Knives and Ramona. True. That's true. All right. Edge of Tomorrow or Live, Die, Repeat, whichever title you want to go by. Not even a little bit. I mean, I like that movie. But I don't see uh, the connection. I don't see the connection at all. I don't. I can't even think of anybody that were linked, you know, yeah. uh, actor wise or writer wise or anything. Uh, Land of the Lost. Not really, huh? That that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Other than it's a funny, weird movie. Yeah. And finally, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yep. That would have been my second pick to do with you today. Oh, really? I love that movie. <laughs> yeah. It, it took me a little while to warm to that one. Uh, there are parts of it that I absolutely love, but I... What's funny is I grew up with the books, mm-hmm. not realizing that the radio play came first. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it, Hitchhiker's Guide has such a weird history to it, but um, the movie changes some stuff from the books that it took me a while to kind of warm up to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I love those that movie now. I, I lo- I've been looking for... So NECA... I'm a collector of items. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> NECA made a one-to-one scale POV gun. Oh, really? That was limited to about a thousand. And I have been looking for one since that movie came out. I cannot find anywhere. I found one listing on eBay from five years ago, and that's it. So either everybody who wants one wants to keep one forever, or uh, they didn't sell enough and they destroyed the rest. Well, that's an interesting rabbit hole to kind of go down Yeah, they, to try they, and figure out what happened to them. So they made those guns. They made the the Vogon stapler, which I found. Uh, <laughs> they made us. They made a Vogon pen, which I have found. I haven't bought any of them. I just know where they're at. And a Vogon mug. Interesting. But I cannot, for the life of me, find that friggin' POV gun that I want. I just want it. <laughs> you just you see it and you go, yeah, I need that in my life. If I like the movie, I want the thing. I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we end with a pop quiz, four questions that are uh, related to or inspired by the movie. Are you ready? Yep, let's let's, uh, ready to see me fail. Let's do it. No, I think you're actually going to do pretty well on this, but we'll see. Uh, Number one, the four members of Sex Bob-Omb actually played their own instruments in their scenes, practicing together for several weeks prior to filming. Which member of the fictional band had to dumb down their playing ability in order to look like an amateur? Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah's correct. Uh, yeah, he he's apparently quite a, a proficient bass player and had to uh, dumb down how he played. And, uh, you know, you can't really tell. And uh, to be honest, uh, seeing somebody who can play, who has learned to play six months ago and somebody who's been doing it for decades, I would never be able to tell the difference either way. <laughs> right, right. Uh, number two in the movie, Scott, played by Michael Sarah, is 22, has a younger sister, Anna Kendrick, who is 18 and is dating a 17-year-old high schooler, played by Ellen Wong. In reality, which of the actors is the oldest? Okay, so this is going to be one of those lawyer-style uh, questions. <laughs> I, I know Michael Sarah. I, I believe Michael Sarah is the youngest. 
He is very good. I believe that Anna Kendrick is three or four years older than Michael Sarah. He's she's three years older than him. And I believe that Knives is two one to three years older than Anna. Uh, so you're saying Ellen is the oldest one? I want I want to say. Yep, she is. She's only a couple of months older than Anna Kendrick. Both of them were born in 85. Uh, Ellen Wong was born in January. Whew. I was born in 85. Well, there you go. All right, number three. Ellen Wong auditioned three times before being cast as Nice Chow. What piece of information about the actress helped convince Edgar Wright to cast her? A, she was a Canadian native. B, she held a green belt in Taekwondo. C, she had parents who were Cam- Cambodian refugees. Or D, she was a huge fan of the graphic novel. Man, see, it could be all four for all I know. <laughs> I'm going to say the green belt. Yep, absolutely. That He found out during her second audition that she had a green belt, and he liked the idea of a girl who looks absolutely harmless but is secretly a kick-ass. That's basically every woman, right? You look at her and you go, ah, you know. <laughs> and then you're crying in the corner because she said something about your receding hairline. <laughs> I, I feel like you've got something personal there going on. <laughs> no, right, no, last, no. <laughs> last question. Edgar Wright uses sounds and music from the Legend of Zelda linked to the past. Uh, what was his argument to Nintendo in order to get the rights to use these sounds? A, he felt Sarah looked like a modern day Link. B, he said both Scott Pilgrim and Link follow the hero's journey pattern. C, he figured the popularity of the movie would mean sales for Nintendo. Or D, he compared the games to nursery rhymes for a generation. It, it's it's D. It's D. There you go. Man, you got 100% and you were worried you were going to fail. <laughs> now, but be honest, how many people get 100%? Uh, honestly, I think you're like one of the first. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, then your previous uh, guests can suck it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going on record with saying that. <laughs> All right, man, where can people find you? You've got a couple podcasts and an online presence, I know, so uh, promote yourself. So we have uh, two podcasts, me and my buddy Josh. Uh, One is called Talking Pops. Uh, We are creeping up on episode 200 for that. We've been doing it for about three years. We just talk about all the Funko stuff that we can come up with. Uh, It's it's a lot of fun if you're, uh, you know, in the Funko community. Uh, Even if you don't love pop figures or Funko items, uh, we still try to be uh, entertaining enough that you'd like us either way. Yeah. As, as someone, as I said, I dabble in Funkos, but I, and I didn't listen to your most recent episode. I picked one because I felt like some of the content would appeal to me. And I, I really enjoyed listening to it. I appreciate it. It's, it's, uh, you, you got to try to stay evergreen when you don't have evergreen (laughs) information. (laughs) Uh, and then our other show is, uh, the Pawnee public forum where we talk about, Parks and Rec, episode by episode. We are in season two, uh, which is going to take us uh, probably another 30 weeks to finish up. <laughs> uh, but we try to do it quick. You know, they're they're under half an hour episodes and they're they're just fun. That one's explicit. Talking Pops is uh, family friendly for the most part. And of course, we have Patreon for both shows. And, you know, that just offsets the very expensive cost of uh, hosting podcasts. Uh, I'm sure you know how much that could. That could be. I, yeah, I haven't started a Patreon or advertising yet, but uh, I, I expect some point I'll have to go down that hole. Uh, you, you look at it and you're going, I paid uh, two thousand dollars for equipment. Oh, we got <laughs> we got to get this back somehow. 
<laughs> well, Mike, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, great movie pick. Uh, love Scott Pilgrim and people out there who have not seen it need to to fix that. Because I, as I said, I don't know anybody who has seen it who doesn't love it. Exactly. And I, I appreciate you having me on. A lot of fun talking about a movie that uh, you actually like. That does it for this week, but you can always keep the conversation going throughout the week through social media. You can find me at Talon Hess on Twitter or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. On Facebook, we're at Have Not Seen This Podcast or email me at Have Not Seen This at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, but make sure to bring your multipass for next week's episode. This podcast is available on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or you can use the RSS feed to subscribe through whatever podcatcher you prefer. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Mike for providing this week's conversation. Maybe you have a movie you'd like to talk about, one that means something to you or you're particularly astonished when you discover some people have not seen. Come be a guest on the show. Head over to havenotseenthis.podbean.com, click the Be a Future Guest button, submit the form there, and we'll get you set up for a future episode. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Have Not Seen This.